Welcome to the Radio Plasma Podcast, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega. This is another immigrant story. And today I want to welcome Yusef. This is a story full of surprises and full of diversity. Yusef, welcome. Hey, what's up? So let's start with the basics. <laughs> Who are you and where are you coming from? Uh, oh man, to really run me out as a person. Uh, my name is Yusef. I'm originally from Venezuela. I was born in Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know where that is, that is not Minnesota, which is what I often get from people here uh, when I tell them I'm from somewhere. Um, but that is in South America. So if you look at a map right to the right of Colombia down there, so below the equator. I, I grew up in Miami for a big major part of my life. And then I recently moved here about four or five years ago, I think. And I originally lived in Northampton, and then I emigrated to a couple of different townships surrounding there, and then I finally landed myself in Holyoke in the last year and a half, which by far has been my favorite <laughs> of all of those. So being from Caracas, you have the Latin culture in your blood, in your veins, oh, in your yeah. mind. And how did you move from Caracas to Miami? So my, my, I grew up with my grandparents, so my grandparents raised me, so when I say mom and dad, we're talking about abuelo, abuela, um, on my mom's side, you know, my biological mother's side. And so my dad had a business, and he started in Colombia, and then emigrated to Venezuela, and then they met, fell in love, woohoo, and then we all moved to Florida a couple of decades after that. My dad set roots there just because a bunch of people speak Spanish in Florida, but uh, unlike up here where it's not Puerto Ricans, it's Cubans, and a small segment of Colombians and Venezuelans in a small city called Doral. And so that's where we settled, and that's where I grew up for the most part. Um, but I, when I moved here, it was kind of interesting. I had never, to be quite honest with you, I had never met Puerto Ricans before. I'd never met a lot of them. And the Spanish is a little interesting. So like to get used to this kind of Spanish was a different kind of rhythm. Unlike Cubans who really like skip half the word, you know, there's no, there's not much of a word left after someone tells you a sentence in Cuban Spanish, which is pretty funny. Um, but that's been an adjustment. I can't say that. <laughs> so we will say maybe the transition from Florida To Massachusetts was a difficult oh. one instead of uh, Caracas to Florida. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I do remember a little bit of a culture shock when I first got here, like when I was very young. Like there's one story that I can always think of where, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but in Colombia, Venezuela, like we basically drink coffee from the time we are no longer an infant. So like day two, right? And that's when we started drinking coffee. So I had always grown up with like, you know, tomando mi cafecito con leche en la mañana, like with an arepa. So that's how I used to go to school, right? And I grew up in a, I grew up as a, in a private Christian school because um, my parents are originally Catholic and then we went to a private Baptist school when I was much younger in the South, super fun. That was an awkward time, but we can talk about that later. Uh, I remember one day I was running late. My mom's like, mijo, just, just get coffee at school. And I was like, okay, it's fine. You're telling me. 
So I went, I remember like going to the cafeteria, my little like seven year old self and like I got a milk from the fridge and I'm going over to get some coffee from the burner and like being super careful and like holding it with two hands because I'm terrified that I'm going to spill it and burn myself. And this older white woman stops me and says, what are you doing? Like, like not even like I was a person, right? Like it was very just snapped, you know, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm making coffee because I'm seven and I need to wake up because I have work to do, ma'am. And she's like, you can't do that. You're not allowed to have coffee. I was like, oh, number one, you are not my mother. You are no one to tell me that I cannot have coffee. I thought this. I didn't say it, because I also recognized that I am being scolded by an adult. But she's like, no, you're not allowed to have coffee. Who told you you could have coffee? I was like, my mom? My mother? She told me? I was running late. I don't know. Uh. And she's like, you know, don't lie to me. I was like, I'm, first of all, no one said anything about lying. I'm seven. I have not learned the concept of deception yet, but okay. And she was very adamant that I was not allowed to have coffee and all these things. And she dragged me into the principal's office. I'm seven, by the way. Dragged me into the principal's office and was demanding that someone call my mother and tell her that I had the audacity to get coffee with milk in the morning. And luckily for me, the secretary behind the desk was Cuban. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I don't know who this woman is. She's from a, I don't know who she is. And the principal was also Latina. I think she was, uh, I think she was like Nicaraguan. And she was just like, okay. And then to appease this white woman, just like called my mother and talked to her in Spanish. And she's like, everything's fine. I don't know what this white lady's deal is. We're going to get you. It'll be fine. So my mom told me, we're just going to send you to school with a thermos. Like, this is ridiculous. And I remember that being such a weird thing. Like, my friends who were white didn't have coffee for breakfast. And I was like, what is that nonsense? Uh, but yeah, no, there was a big gap between moving here to Massachusetts just because I have never been around this many like white folk before and brown people that are used to being around this many white people. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that sounds strange or not, but it like snows all, all year round here for me. And that was a big thing. Um, but I also gave up a couple of things to move here for a reason. You know, we talked about this podcast is going to be full of surprises. Woohoo. Um, this sultry, soothing voice is actually uh, the voice of a person who was born and assigned a female at birth. <gasps> Surprise. Shocking. Um, yeah. So I gave up being surrounded by people of color, like a, a bigger, larger community of color, uh, to be surrounded by a community of what, you know, what I call queer people, of people who are queer identified, who... Um, are trans and who are queer in intention and like don't simply date people of the opposite sex because that's a more complicated question for someone like me. What is the opposite sex for me, right? Um, so I don't, I don't identify as male, but I definitely, for safety, like I work at uh, an animal shelter and I deal with the public a lot. And so for them, you know, I, I use male pronouns. So I, I go like by he, he and him and his at work and stuff like that. But in my private life, I use, you know, much more complicated words to identify myself with. So like at home and in my community spaces and even, you know, the mosque that I do go to, which is a digital one. It's not even a, it's, oh, fun fact, I'm also Muslim. <laughs> the mosque that I go to worship at uh, with friends via Skype is digital. And that's because it's led by a woman and I feel welcome there unlike other places. So in that space, I use flower pronouns. Well, how does that work? Here's a very good example. Flower has a cat named Voldemort. These glasses are flowers. You know, that's, that's how it operates. But otherwise, I use they, them for the sake of ease for some folks who don't 
feel like flower flowers is something you need to remember. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of complicated layers to me. I contain multitudes. Look at that. <laughs> so you were warned. A lot of surprises. <laughs> so let's make notes. We're talking about someone who is from Venezuela. But also now we're going to have to remember to come back to talk about um, the fact you are Muslim. Oh, yeah. That's and a good time. you are also working with animals, which is another beautiful, <laughs> beautiful uh, yeah. aspect that I want to know oh, more it's about. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So about that. let's continue with your transition from Florida to Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, uh, I moved here. I, I th it would be five years, I think, in September. Um, I wasn't doing anything in Florida, uh, literally that I couldn't do here. So I moved here on vacation. What ended up happening is that I was dating someone and they were like, oh, come visit for vacation. And I was like, sweetie, do you have coming to visit for vacation money? Because I don't have that kind of money. They're like, oh, think of it as a late birthday present. And so they bought me a plane ticket for super cheap. And they're like, we'll just, you know, we'll buy you a ticket, come up. And I think my dad, I love my dad for this. My dad, who's a very stoic man, who like, you know, if he could cry, he would cry rocks because he's made of stone. Um, but I love him and he loves me. <laughs> Sorry, dad. Uh, so he was giving me a ride to the airport and was like, you know, what are you going to do up there? And I was like, ah, because mm. I think he knew. He's like, well, if you found a job, would you want to stay? And I was like, probably, question mark? I don't know. He's like, we'll send your stuff. In, in a box and I was like oh thanks dad so encouraging um, but I towards the end of my week here uh, I took a nap and then I woke up from said nap and my partner was like what if you didn't get on your plane at four o'clock in the morning and I was like that's a great idea what's for dinner and then that was it so I moved here in just like about five minutes <laughs> I just made that decision and then I got a, a job in an apartment and I was just living here after that And it took a while to get used to here, right? Like I grew up in Northampton, uh, not grew up, I, I first lived in Northampton. And Northampton is like pretty queer friendly and very rainbowy, right? But one thing that I didn't understand was how everyone was white and no one was freaking out about it. <laughs> I, I didn't understand that, right? Because I grew up with cultura, like you get up in the morning and you go to the bakery and you get your little pastelito and you get your cafe and then you go to work and then when you're done with work you go home and you're in a different country because you spend eight hours in america and then you go home and you're back home right like i grew up speaking spanish in my house and we clean on sundays to very loud merengue and you know like that's what you do right but on sundays there was no merengue coming out of anyone's houses instead it was like I don't even know. It's just no music. <laughs> and one thing that I'm not used to still is New Englanders. I don't know what it is, but like, y'all don't say hi to nobody. I'm trying to say hi to people. And they look at me like I'm nuts. Like I've got two heads on. I'm like, I'm just trying to say hello. Just trying to see how your day is going. All right, fine. You can, that's fine. That's your thing. Everybody tries to act like I'm trying to rob them. I'm like, I'm just trying to say hi. Damn. But we're getting, we're getting better at it. I, I leave New Englanders alone. I give them their space now. But that was a big adjustment. That was for sure. Just I guess it's just a different mindset up here. But I don't know. I feel like uh, I'm officially a Massachusetts resident, right? Holyoke has really helped out. Like, I feel at home here. Because like, people look like me, right? People do ask me how I'm doing when I'm walking down the street here, <laughs> which is nice. So how how that changed from Northampton to Holyoke and basically crossing the the Tofu Curtain? No, yeah, it's like it's almost like the border is drawn, right? No, but it was like instant. And I got here, 
it felt good to be around people that look like me, right? And I do have friends that like don't want to visit or like people that say like you were moving here and they're like, oh, you're moving to Holyoke. I was like, first of all, what does that mean? Because like I grew up in places like this, man. Sometimes, sometimes places look a little dusty on the outside, but that's not true. You know, my friends wouldn't want to come to my neighborhood back home. My friends up here, right? So I was like, y'all, y'all need to stop. Stop this nonsense. Um, okay, so you felt comfortable. Yeah. Felt comfortable being here. What else did you found once established here? Um, I mean, a good, a good sense of, like, uh, community in all the ways. You know, I was, I've been much closer to, like, my Muslim friends that are up here because I had a lot of Muslim friends on the Internet that we really connected for because, like, being a transgender person is already complicated enough. Being a transgender person who's, like, non-binary, so I don't identify as a man or a woman, being a transgender person who's also Muslim was, like, Few and far between, right? Like, I thought I was the only one. And then I wasn't, which was a wonderful surprise for someone like me. And a lot of them live up here. So, like, we have queer Muslims that live up here. And I'm part of a group uh, called the Queer Muslims of the Pioneer Valley. And we hang out and share, you know, knowledge and, and pray together. And that's a beautiful thing. And then in the mosque online, which is super nice, because that's a part of a larger scope of queer Muslims that, you know, know each other from across the country. So I was closer to that. I was closer to queer people that identified like me and used the same language to identify themselves with. And like, I originally started as a person who thought they were male and then only coming here and moving here and being you know, having a stable job and a steady life and a place to, like, call my own. Like, I live in my own apartment. A lot of people can't say that. And I have a cat. Like, I have a... My furry roommate contributes nothing to our household. So, like, I'm supporting him and myself in my own place, which is not something that a lot of folks my age can say, which is super great and that I'm thankful for. So, like, you know, Massachusetts has given me a life and it gave me access to a great job and to a number of the communities that I was super ostracized from. So that was a beautiful gift that it gave me, I can definitely say. So you mentioned you were educated at a Catholic school, and now you are a Muslim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How that decision came up? Oh, um, well, you know, Islam was never like a new thing to me. I had, I had first learned about it when I was in grade school, um, And so I grew up in, in a private Baptist Christian, you know, elementary school and partly junior high that went all the way up to high school. Like my brothers graduated from there. I have three older brothers um, and two of them graduated from there. And I remember we had a Bible class. Like it was, you have like eight courses in a day. And one of those periods was a Bible period. So obviously we're really ringing that in. And I remember one kid was like, had heard about Muslims. You know, this was like, this was post 9-11. And a kid had heard about what Muslims are, but didn't know, you know, who or what they are. And our teacher was like, oh, they just believe something else. And then never talked about it again. So I was like, oh, that's a bit of a red flag. That's a little weird. And then I went home and used the Google machine back when it was not a super omni-entity that it is now. Uh, and the internet was much slower. I learned about what Islam was. So I learned about like the Crusades and what that was about. And, you know, Muhammad, peace be upon him, and like all of these things. And I recall thinking to myself when 
you know, I was looking up all this stuff and particularly the Crusades bit because our mascot for the high school was the Dade Christian Crusader, which is not a, like, that's borderline offensive. And, like, no one had ever mentioned that that was a horrible thing. Like, our mascot is a Templar knight whose job was to massively genocide a bunch of Arabs <laughs> in the 12th century. You know, good good stuff. Way to go. Uh, nobody ever talked about that. So I was like, oh man, I should put a pin in this and like come back to this later when it's safe and I'm not in a hor- horrible environment for this to happen. You know, because I was already awkward and like a queer kid and like no, already unpopular and nerdy. So it was not a good time. So I was like, let's not add to this list of stuff. So uh, in high school, when I went to a public high school, because my parents finally realized that this was a bad idea and we should put me in a place that makes me not want to, you know, die. Um, So I went to a public high school and I met friends who were Muslim and they're like, oh, come check it out. You don't have to do anything, but my mom will give you food so you can come over to the house. And I was like, oh, sweet food. Um, So then I started talking to my friend's mom, who was originally from Pakistan, and she was telling me about like Islam. So this is what it is. And these are the basics. And. Here's like a little pamphlet, you know, you can check it out if you want to. If you have any questions, you can always ask us. And one thing that I do remember was it was not about anything about the religion itself, but it was all about me. So she was like, what are you interested in? What do you think about this? Oh, your parents are Catholic? Great. What are you? Oh, neat. And then it was very much a conversation, which is something I had never had an experience with. As far as religion goes, I had always had the very, like, Jesus and then a Bible and it's thrown at my face and that was it. It was, it was a much gentler approach <laughs> to religion, which was surprising for me. Because I didn't know much else aside from the very basics, like, this is a time that it occurred for a long time for these people and then that was that. So I was like, oh, this is neat. And then I remember November 18th, uh, my senior year of high school, I was like, oh, I feel it. So for Muslims, there's this uh, idea that there's, you, you take shihada, which is the oath to say that, you know, there's only one God. It's a very simple process to become Muslim. You believe it, and then you say you have someone who's a brother or a sister to you in Islam now, lead you in it, and there should be a witness. You know, it could be another Muslim or someone very close to you. And you say, you know, there's only one God, but God and his prophet, his last prophet was Muhammad and all of his prophets before him. And that's that pretty much. It's a very loose version of what that is, but it's a very simple thing. And it's that all Muslims that were Muslim, you know, have always been. And that when God made us the second time, when he breathed life into us, um, you know, we come into this world, not Muslim, and then we come back. So that call to come back is when you say your shahada. And I remember waking up one morning being like, huh, Think uh, I think I heard it, and I took my shahada that afternoon. So that's, you know, it wasn't a very big revelation, or I didn't have a huge spiritual experience. It was something just felt right, and it clicked, and then that was that. And I've been Muslim ever since. Woohoo. Since I was 18, actually. I'm 26 now, so. And it's, it's fantastic that you went through this process that you felt so natural, yeah. and now being here in New England, in Holyoke, you found a safe space for everything that defines Yusuf. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's awesome. And I can't even say everything that defines Yusuf. A lot of the things that, a lot of the experiences that I had here are what led me to be, or led me to find the language to describe 
what is me. So like I, I do a lot of activism work surrounding language. Um, I'm a public speaker and I do a lot of education surrounding gender and orientation, but my religion is a big part of that because I've always been religious. Like there was never a time where I didn't feel that it was just defined differently. So as a child, you know, Christianity, I was just kind of tethered into, did I feel like a Christian? Not really. Um, but did I feel a compulsion to worship something that I feel is greater than me? Yes whether some and some folks describe that as all kinds of things but that's you know islam just happened to fit that right and gender was the same thing was this kind of very broad thing where you know i was only ever following the things that were kind of mushed at me right we all are a product of gender and gender is a very complicated thing that we've all made up and stuck ourselves in and when i got here it wasn't until i was here that i was able to explore the idea that I'm not a man, woohoo, but I'm also not a lady. And that was the real complex bit that I had many years of struggling behind, right? I, I've played a lot of catch up in my life. And then when I got here, it's like I was able to take a breath for one second, which is something I never got to do before. And, you know, Holyoke had, hadn't just given me a place to identify myself with. It had given me the experiences to finally be like, aha, so this is, this is what this is. And so it's landed me in a very rich Yousef spot where I'm feeling more like a person than I have in a very long time. And as young as I am, which is silly enough to say, I'm a person who's experienced a lot of trauma in my life. And it's nice to be able to take a breath here. And I feel safe enough to do that. Right. It's a good feeling. Going back for a moment to the memories in Caracas. Yeah. <laughs> what are the things that you miss the most? Oh, my God. Um, you know, I've, I've been to Venezuela a couple of times since we had moved to Florida. Unfortunately, the last time I went, I was you know, 14, which is well over a decade ago. My biological mother is still in, in Venezuela with two of my half siblings. And unfortunately, if some of you don't know, the country is currently on fire. <laughs> like, quite literally, there are fires everywhere. And it's in an uproar. There is a giant humanitarian crisis in Venezuela right now. I have not been able to go back since I was 14. And definitely what I miss the most doesn't exist anymore. You know, I can tell you that the thing that I miss the most are those mountains, uh, I grew up in Caracas, which is in a valley, for folks that don't know the geography there. And there were these beautiful, giant, like, triumphant, you know, green-covered, snow-capped mountains that surveyed that valley. And the last time I went when I was 14, you know, I had, I had gone a couple of times when I was like seven, eight, and then one more time when I was 11 to meet my first youngest sister. And when I was 11, I remember when I was, the plane was starting to land, just like, those mountains are awe-inspiring. They really knock you, you know, pardon my French, they like knock you on your ass when you see them because they're just these monumental things. And Venezuela is known as La Tierra de Gracia, which is the land of grace. It's a beautiful, it's a graceful country. You know, the geography is gorgeous. But when I went, when I was 14, that's when a lot of the problems had already been rolling. <laughs> you know, it had already been a, an over a decade of just like economic collapse, continuous economic collapse. And when I got there, those mountains were carved out. It's just the clay or the dirt that exists in those mountains is red uh, when you pick up the dirt. And so there was just a bunch of like shanty towns just carved on the side of all of those mountains. So it, it, they looked like they were bleeding quite literally. 
So what I miss the most doesn't exist, you know? But other than that, I miss the soda. Frescolita is my favorite. I can't get it anywhere. So if anyone knows where to get it, like, hit me up. Because, oh, that I do miss. And their Cheetos, believe it or not. Their Cheetos are way better. They're so much better. They taste like real cheese. <laughs> oh, boy. I do miss that, yeah. So, and, and I was going to ask you about some, some of those cravings that uh, come every now and then about those things that you know you can get that easy in here um, or you can get at all. Yeah, the Colombian restaurant, the only Colombian restaurant that I know of is in Pittsfield. So if you want Colombian food, go to Pittsfield. That, was, that restaurant is the bomb. I wish I remembered the name right now. But if you look up Colombian West Restaurant, Massachusetts, you'll find it because it's the only one. Uh, yeah. That's where I can go to get a decent arepa or some tostones, for sure. Um, but otherwise, Puerto Rican food is not bad. My mama told me about Puerto Rican food, and I tried it, and I was like, oh, this is sent from heaven. That is so delicious. We're all in the Caribbean, so it's all very similar, right? It's similar in the way some, you know, some foods can be. So some of it I, I know. So like plantains, mm -hmm. tajadas. That's what the Venezuelan word for it, tajadas. Uh, or platanos for my Puerto Rican friends. Or maduros. But I refuse to say Maduro because President Maduro. It's just a thing. I can't get around it. <laughs> I can't get around it. Um, but that, and luckily mangoes. I used to have a mango tree growing up. So fresh mangoes, can't beat it. Just go into your neighbor's yard, grab a mango, you're good to go. Y'all don't have mango trees up here. It makes me sad. Free mangoes for everybody. But I'll, I'll buy them from Stop and Shop, I suppose. It's good enough. <laughs> You're listening Radio Plasma. And we want to listen to your feedback. Let us know your thoughts, ideas, suggestions, comments, requests, people or matters that you would like to hear about in this space. You can contact us on our website, radioplasma.com, and through our social media channels. Twitter, Radio Plasma Lab, and facebook.com slash radioplasma. Tell me about Voldemort. Oh, my cat. Yeah. So before anyone gets mad that I have called him Voldemort, um, he has a almost flat face. He's not a flat-faced cat. He's a flat-faced mixed cat. So his face is a little flatter than most kitties. So he has a snake face. I will provide pictures in case there's a website or a Twitter feed and y'all can look at him. But his name is Voldemort, and he's kind of a jerk sometimes, and I love him anyway. So he's, he's my buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, that shows your strong connection with, with the animals. Yeah. And, uh, part, part of the work. For that sure. You do. So what is the most meaningful takeaway from working with animals? I mean, the beautiful part about it, most people would be like, oh, my God, the animals. It's like, you know, I, I used to work. I work at the Dakin Humane Society. So for anybody who needs a cat or a dog or a bunny or other variety of small animals, because we also have some small critters right now, um, please hit us up. Come check out the website or you can come in person. I used to work in the adoption center. So I was an adoption counselor, which means I help you. I literally help you find a pet. You know, I help you adopt an animal. And then I transferred over to the spay and neuter clinic. Um, which is where I help you fix your animals. So basically, one way or the other, I'm helping you do something with an animal. But the big part of my work is that I work with people. So I am one of the only bilingual staff members 
at Bacon because that's, you know, they're housed in Springfield, which believe it or not, you figure they would have more bilingual staff members. It's difficult because like the work is very, very challenging and they're looking for specific things and it's hard to find all of that and have that person be bilingual. So like we have some extraordinary folks that work for us and I love my coworkers for that reason. So I am someone who was hired as a bilingual person who has a customer service background because they were having trouble reaching out to people in the Latinx community because they, you know, they wanted those folks to feel welcome, but how can you make them feel welcome if you don't speak their language? <laughs> you know, you want to give them services, right? So speaking of which, if you're bilingual and you like working with people and animals, please volunteer for us. Like I'm begging you super hard, shameless plug right now. Um, and so I help people who love their animals, which is the big part. I love working with people. I always have. It's a big like reason why I've worked in nonprofit work for so long and a big takeaway that I get to, you know, take from my job every day. I love getting up for work because my job is the best job because I help people take care of their pets and keep them healthy, which is the big important part. Spaying with your animals, it's so important, and there's a million reasons why, but the most important reason is, A, you're going to save a ton of money on your vet bills, and B, it's really good for their health, which is the most important thing, and we get to help folks make sure that happens, which is why my job is so awesome. And yeah, if you do need a pet, come on down. We have lots of cats who need lots of love. How Yusef feels being an immigrant from Venezuela, living in Holyoke, and loving every day going to work and feeling safe in Holyoke? I mean, it's hard to describe, you know? I think a, a good way to describe it, my mom had one dream in her entire life and I hope she doesn't go anytime soon. She'll live forever, NBD. Um, my mom's dream in the world was to make sure that she lived long enough to see all of her kids succeed. And so I have more than I thought I could ever have as a person who's trans. Um, and for a very long time, my mom was super scared that she would lose me, and not because of anything I would do, because people are scary, man. And people really don't like things that they don't understand. And she's like, I have a hard time. I, I have a hard enough time understanding you and I love you to death. You know, how can I expect something so immense from a stranger? And I have a full-time job. I have an apartment. I have a cat. Um, I have a wonderful partner. He's super awesome. And I have people that love me and people who she can depend on up here to take care of me because she's still in Florida, right? She's still super far away. And I think my mom's dream came true, where I'm in a place where I'm safe and I'm happy and I'm addressing all the things in my life that are hard and I can do those things in a way that isn't harmful to me or anyone that I care about. And it's a beautiful thing. And I can tell you that that's pretty much how it feels, knowing that my mom's dream came true. It's the best way to describe it. What do you think the city of Holyoke needs to improve in terms of embracing its diversity? I mean, the understanding that it, we're different, man. <laughs> like, uh, we're meant to be different, and that's not a bad thing. A lot of people talk about inclusivity. Like, inclusivity is being invited to a club that you weren't already a part of, whereas the idea of equity means that this was an idea for everybody, you know? A big issue is the the understanding that like Holyoke is somehow dying or Holyoke is somehow lacking in infrastructure, which I don't think is true. I think there's a big disconnect from like what Holyoke does provide and what it's already what's already here. Um, you know, I have a lot of 
people that tell me it's like I tell them that I live in Holyoke and they're like, oh man, you live in Holyoke? How do you like that? I was like, it's it's rad. I don't know. Like we have a super awesome like art scene and there's an amazing library. Like, have you been to Holyoke in a minute? Like, where have you been? You know, I live here. And granted, there's a little bit of garbage flying around. All right, that's fair. But maybe if we like spruced it up a little bit, like clean it up a little bit, man, I'll go out on a Sunday and clean up some garbage. If it means, you know, something's being done about it. Like I would love to get on a bus and not hit four potholes on like one street. I'm going to be mad honest. And like this year in winter, I felt so bad. Winter was hard on those couple of storms, but like there was like that one storm that came through that buried everything like six feet of snow. There was one dude on my street just like shoveling. Like, not a plow, just, like, one dude. And I was like, oh, my God, guy, can I? They didn't even plow the other street near my house, which I felt really bad because it was just that one dude. I wanted to, like, lower, I couldn't get out of my house, but, like, I wanted to, like, lower coffee out of my window, like, from a thermos on a string and be like, bro, like, do you, do you want some coffee? Like, I can lower a snack. Do you want an apple? I feel super bad for you, just, like, shoveling. And it's still snowing, right? So he, it's just, like, a vainless effort. <laughs> I have a horrible, <laughs> just minor things, you know, maybe invest a little bit in, in this community because it's vibrant, like amazing stuff is happening here and it's almost like no one realizes it, right? Because it's under like a, you know, an old like washcloth. Like we just got to lift it up, just lift it up and it's there, you know. Like people need to give it a chance, man. Come on. Anything else that they would like to add? Uh, no, <laughs> aside from, uh, I do public speaking and I'm also an artist. So if anybody, I do work on commission, um, my art ranges anywhere from like realistic pet portraits. So if you want a painting of your puppy or cat or your own pet, I can totally help you do that. Uh, I do a lot of digital work so I can make you a super awesome rad poster of whatever you want for your animal. Um, I also do self portraits and, you know, portraits of people, um, or abstract art. And some of my original art is a little scary. So if you're into weird, creepy, uh, scary art, <laughs> totally check me out. Uh, I'm on yousefwoof.tumblr.com or you can email me at yousefporticelli at gmail.com and I can give you that email. Folks want to check that out as well. Um, and if you need help spaying or neutering your animal, please email us at spay, S-P as in Paul, A-Y at dakinhumane.org or check out the website, dakinhumane.org for animals, uh, also services and programs, or if you want to volunteer, please, if you're a bilingual volunteer, we need you so bad. Come and help us out, please. I'm going to plug all my things in there. No, absolutely. I feel honored and I want to thank the time and the energy sharing your story. Oh, thank you, bro. This it is, is awesome. a pleasure getting to know you. Oh, yeah, thanks. This is great. Because if I ever knew how many great connections can happen living here in Holyoke, this one today, it has been one of the best <laughs> that I've experienced oh, in a long shucks. time. shucks. Thanks. And I really appreciate and respect uh, your, your experiences. Oh, thank you, man. It is something that keeps teaching each one of us about the stories That's that true. we have, the paths, the choices, the opportunities. And we need to share that. We need to enjoy and celebrate all of this. For sure. Yeah. Thank you. So, really, I, I think for for this this opportunity to get to know you and well also to 
respectfully celebrate the Ramadan. Oh, so. Thank you. Ramadan Mubarak for anybody who is celebrating out there and Ramadan Kareem for Ramadan you guys. Kareem. Yeah. Well, this is Yusef, one of our immigrant stories as part of our series here on the Radio Plasma podcast. And this episode is part of the special series celebrating June, the Immigrant Heritage Month here in the city of Holyoke. This episode of the Radio Plasma podcast was produced at the Gandhara Youth Development Center here in Holyoke, Mass. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. Thank you for listening.